Welcome to Planet of the Associations. I'm Seth Kahn. And I am Mark Levy. And and right, you were going to ask me, Seth. Yes, I was. See, I'm psychic. (laughs) So what this show is, Planet of the Associations, is a vlog and podcast. And what it does is it teaches C-level people in associations, or we brainstorm with C-level people in associations about uh, creating the association of the near future, X plus three, three years from when we're speaking now. How do you create an association that can thrive for itself and for its membership and for the world in three years from now? And today's program is about, we are going, uh, we, we spoke last time about the importance of field trips as a way of generating new thought for new ideas and for problem solving means. And you were talking about your work, your work at the World Bank. And you said there were two specific field trips that were just mega important in your life. And you wanted to speak about those and their relation to associations to everyone listening. So tell us about those two field trips, Seth. What a great memory you have, Mark. Oh, sure. Nailed it. it. So uh, last time I was talking about knowledge management at the World Bank, and the, the, the distinguishing point there was that that was an initiative that went from an unfunded mandate to $60 million a year in just two short years, And the question was, how did we move so fast? And there are these two field trips that were instrumental in our speed. The first was at the very beginning when it was hard to detect any real movement. You know, we were talking about knowledge management. This was the idea that what we know is just as important as the money we've got in the bank. And at that very same time, Peter Senge came out with a book and it was all about the learning organization. And I was reading the book and I got super excited and I went to my boss, Steve, And I said, Steve, you got to read this book. It's all about what we're doing. Steve took the book home. The next morning he came and he said, "Uh, let's find a date to go visit Peter Senge. And to me, at that point in my life, Peter Senge was like a god. He was, you know, running this Sloan management consulting firm. He was doing all this super cool stuff. And I just never thought that we could actually meet Peter Peter Senge. Steve picked up the phone and five minutes later, we had a date. We flew up to Boston. We spent an entire day with him. He gave us advice on our initiative really accelerated and, and helped us see what, what kind of the territory we were getting into. That was an example of just taking us immediately to the site of where we could learn the most. And Steve had the, the vision to do that. And I've learned to do that now, you know, jump on a plane, go visit someone, and sit, sit with them and discover what it is you need to outside of your normal environment. So that was the first field trip. And by the way, we developed a relationship with him and went back to see him several more times after that. Um, and, he, and all of the conversations with him were done gratis. And this was a guy who was extraordinarily expensive. But just because we connected on the same topics at the same interest, boom, we were in with him. Second, we, did, uh, we were part of a small group of people that were experimenting with knowledge management, included organizations like IBM we began to do field trips to each other's locations. And it was the most powerful accelerator I've ever experienced. Not only did we share best practices with each other that we could freely steal and implement on our own, but we had to get our house in order before other people would come and visit us, just like when you're having someone over for dinner. So we'd tie up all the loose ends in our change initiative. We'd find all the people who were succeeding. We'd corral them in a room, ask them to do short presentations. And then of course, when people would leave, just like after a dinner in your home, the house would devolve into chaos until the next field trip, you know? And, and meanwhile, we were going to visit them. 
And this process, about every four to six months, all of us would go visit in one person's home organization. And it just created this flywheel of momentum that really accelerated our progress. So those were two examples of what it meant to get off-site, to see the world through someone else's eyes, to experience how they were doing something different than we might, and the speed that it brought to our implementation. So that second example, tell me a little more about that. So we had a, a loosely formed coalition of organizations that were all trying to implement knowledge management, and we were all doing it in very different ways. Um, so we would, we would meet at each other's home organization. And once we were there, we would all share kind of where we were, what was, what was going on. Plus we'd get to the local tour, right? So uh, just like your friend who toured the Schlitz beer factory and then right. Schlitz, Schlitz would say, there's nothing special going on here. That's what every one of us would say when people would come and visit. There's nothing special going on here. And it couldn't have been farther from the truth. Unlike the Schlitz Beer Factory, where we were, they were all doing the same thing, just nobody was talking about it, we were all doing different things. And so we really just learned a ton from each other. Interesting. So, uh, and by the way, my friend who toured the Schlitz Beer Factory was Claude Hopkins, who I've never looked this up, but he probably died in the 1940s or something. <laughs> if, I, if he was my friend, it's through like a Ouija board or something. <laughs> um, um, what, uh, um, uh, what, uh, so what can we learn? Like what's a do it yourself field trip methodology for associations? What should, why should they go out on a field trip? Like what are some specific problems that they might be looking to solve and what are the how to's that they should, or the best practices in going out and doing it? So there are, there are different models in the association world, uh, and I'll just pick one, the federation model. The federation model is where you have you know, the, a national organization and then all of the sub-organizations, whether they're region or state or whatever, they're actually their own organization. So they are a, they're, they're a group of independent organizations that have federated under a single cause. But the mothership does not have the ability to dictate to those sub-organizations because they're independent entities. Well, there's a number of associations that are designed like that. And as you can imagine, there's certain challenges that they face. You know, what happens when people want to secede from the union? What happens when there's a sharp left turn? What happens when you want to implement something across the nation, but because there are very tiny organizations that belong to the Federation, they don't have the budget to keep up with the big players. Um, th these common dilemmas can, uh, can be faced by learning how other organizations who also have a federation might do this. So an example of a field trip would be to take your senior leaders who are tasked with supporting the sub-organizations and literally physically go and visit one of the other associations that's a federation. Go to a local organization. You don't even have to travel far. It could be the National Capital Organization here in Washington, D.C., but physically go there, raise your issues, have substantive discussions. I think you'll be amazed by how much your people learn by being in a different work environment as they look for solutions. Interesting. Yeah, I love that. So I guess in this field trip method of innovation and problem solving, uh, we kind of have different approaches because you're going, and, and they're both valid, you're talking about going out there to related 
situations and having discussions or like field trips and seeing things about what's happening. And I'm talking about, um, I'm talking about field trips by giving yourself uh, a parameter, like giving yourself an exercise and going out there in, in a more abstract way and trying to solve that exercise for that exercise, given what it is that you're seeing out there in the world. So one is, one is much more direct on finding real solutions that people are using in a similar place. And the other could be solving, uh, you know, solving your problem about membership by, by, by looking at how they dug a koi pond in a, in a, in a botanical garden. Right, right, right. Something like that, you know? And I'll I'll even add a third, which I've used successfully, which is just to get up and get moving. I've been in meetings where people get stuck, where the energy starts turning, you know, sludge-like. And uh, I'll say, let's walk and talk. You know, we've got five people, let's hit the road. And you walk out the front door of the building and walk for 40 minutes. And it's amazing how just being on the move can change the dynamics of a particular meeting. And you might see something along the way that stimulates an idea for a solution. So this idea of field trips to me really means, you know, playing with the space that you're in. And, and, and I agree with you. We're talking about two very different ways of doing it. Um, one that might be kind of a hybrid between the first two you mentioned. When we were studying storytelling and its use in modern organizations, we organized a trip to Disney because Disney is the story organization. Their culture is built around story, right? And that was an example where we wanted to learn something by going into a strange environment. Disney was so different for us, but we also were going for a very specific solution that we could see in advance, uh, you know, that there would be content there when we got there. So it's kind of a hybrid between the two, right? Right. So, um, I mean, it sounds like we, uh, I, have, I have in the past sent clients, right, because I'm predominantly, I'm a differentiation uh, expert. I'm a marketing guy. And so I will often, you know, strategy guy, I, uh, I won't say often, but I have sent my clients out, let's say to, to malls and I've had them, I say, I want you to walk around the mall and I want you to find out ideas about differentiation that you see from the different stores because they're all clumped together. I want you to see how they present their wares how they're the same, how they're different, what their offerings are on their posters, how they get you to sample what it is that they have or don't, you know, where they're located in the mall and so forth. And, you know, like what are all the different things you can learn about differentiation from from going to the mall? So it sounds like that that's a similar kind of, you're saying go to Disney because they're story people. And I'm saying, oh, differentiation, like go to the mall. Yeah. So, you know, people try to differentiate in a very crowded environment. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it gives you a new perspective. It, it, right. Well, and, uh, you know, uh, similar to that uh, about a different perspective, uh, sometimes, you know, I, I'm uh, as I talk about that, I say, how do people differentiate in a crowded environment? Um, but sometimes I think about the Diamond District in New York City on 47th Street. Those of you who've ever been to New York, right? It was in Marathon Man. You know, they went to the Diamond District. That 
uh, I forget the avenues that it's between. It's between a couple avenues, like Fifth and whatever's the to the east of Fifth, maybe something like that. Um, but the reason why the Diamond District thrives is because all the jewelry stores are there. And I'm being facetious, you know. Not a, there, there are jewelry stores throughout Manhattan, but if you walk this block or two, and they're huge blocks, they're not like tiny little blocks. Um, you're going to find dozens of jewelry stores, and you might think, well, they cannibalize each other, like it's impossible for them to thrive to do business because they're all together. No, that's how they stay in business. Mm. It's because people know, oh, I need to go to the diamond district. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like right. going there for abundance. Yeah. Right. Like that's the whole idea. So what you're losing in, in standing out vividly from the person next to you, you're gaining in foot traffic. Right. People just coming to the, the situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. An interesting idea. I mean, it also, it also reminds me of, uh, there's an old saw in publicity where you should approach talk shows and rather than saying talk show, hire me, like bring me on because I'm a specialist in this. It's much better to approach them by saying, here's this theme or this idea that's important to the world. And I could come on and talk about it. And here are these other two people who could come on and talk about it too. So in other words, you're giving the talk show a complete solution about an idea rather than saying, I want to plug my book. Right. Right. You're making it easy on them. Yeah. You know, right. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anytime you can bring a complete solution, that's not just you centric, right. To, to, uh, to somebody who's in need, then that, that it perks their ears up because it saves them time. It saves them energy. And they, they can, they start to see the, you know, the holistic element, and you're just a part in that. Right. So when you were talking about federations, I never actually never knew the definition of federation. And of course, I thought of Star Trek right away. <laughs> and it made me think, oh, wow, the federation. Oh, so they can tell right. these other memberships what to do. They can just kind of suggest. Right. Right? That, right. Right. That's what it would have been. Yeah, you can't tell the Vulcans what to do. You can you can work with them, but you can't tell them what to do. And of course, nobody can tell the Klingons anything. Right. <laughs> right. right. <So>. Or the Romulans. <laughs> exactly. The exactly. Klingons were my favorite. And Star Trek Next Generation, you know, they had a Klingon on the on they had Worf. He was he was on the bridge. He was on the right. captains. And Worf's solution was always kill them now. <laughs> I didn't know that. I never, I never watched it. You know, that was what the, he did. The, the captain would be, you know, coming up with some strategy about how they could get everyone involved and work this out. So it was a big win-win on multiple fronts. And they turned to Worf and say, "What do you recommend? Kill them now." <laughs> <laughs> I like your Worf voice. So, uh, what else do we have to say about uh, two associations? On, we were talking about field trips and we were talking about the idea that sometimes it's not best to think your way out of a situation. It's best to ex adventure your way out of a situation. I love that verb. Adventure your way out. You know, right, right. where is the adventure? Right, right. Well, because um, why do you think why is thinking your way out of a problem? Why do you think it sometimes gets us stuck? Whereas adventuring your way out creates a freedom. 
because uh, thinking is kind of, it's a set of rules that you develop in your own mind. And at a certain point, it can become a cage. You're like revisiting the same rules over and over and over again. And a lot of times when you, you know, meet reality head on and you're forced to act on your feet, uh, you know, it stimulates some other part of your being. It could be a deeper part of your own self, or it could be something that emerges from the interaction that you might not anticipate. And that can break you through in the creativity, you know, in terms of looking for a solution. Right. Yeah. Well, um, this idea of, of trying to, uh, I think that often our thoughts, um, we have the, and, and I may have talked about this uh, recently, but this idea of a lot of our thoughts are the same thoughts over and over again, if we're not constantly putting in fresh input. And that's because our internal editors are trying to just feed us the thoughts that have made us successful over and over again, because it's trying to keep us safe. But the problem is, you know, it's unrelenting. Here's this idea that worked. This worked seven times before. Here's the strategy. It worked 15 times before. Here's this story. People laughed when you told this story last time. You know, it keeps on giving you the same things. So you sometimes you're you're stuck uh, unintentionally by safety, by demands of safety, by by whatever it is inside you that wants to keep you safe. Whereas when you go out in the world, you're interacting with things that aren't necessarily you centric. That's right. You know, they're not there for you. They're not trying to keep you safe. I'm not saying you should do dangerous things outside, but <laughs> it's more that they're indifferent to who you are. Rather, <laughs> you know, making do, do dangerous things made me laugh. It made me think about Scott Edinger, who's a mutual friend of ours. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, sure. He's, yeah. And he's probably the, the number one world-class thought leader in terms of bringing strategy to sales. Yes. In, in large organizations. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. Scott Edinger told me once a story about bungee jumping. And uh, so he was up on the platform, you know, with the bungee cord tied around his feet. And uh, he was sitting there kind of pausing. And the guy said, what are you waiting for? And he said, I'm, I'm waiting until I'm ready to do this. And the guy said, that's not happening. <laughs> 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 you know, you don't get ready to do this. You just got to jump. <laughs> did he jump? Yeah, he did. <laughs> oh man, that's great. That's great. Where was this? I don't know. I don't remember the exact location. Okay. Yeah. I wondered if it was one of those zip line things through the jungle or yeah. no, it was bungee cord. Like maybe uh, zip lines are a lot less intimidating than bungee jumping. I can tell you, I haven't, I haven't bungee jumped yet, but I have zip lined many times and it's super fun. Oh, you know? what is zip? But aren't you hundreds of feet off the ground when you're zip lining? You are, but you're in a harness and there's nothing that can go wrong. It's uh, very unlike bungee jumping where you're just leaping into space, you know, okay. and you got this elastic cord that's going to stretch who knows how far, you know? Right, right, right. right. <laughs> Although okay. if you talk to people who bungee jump regularly, they say that, you know, that uh, just like anything else, you get used to it. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so we were talking, when we spoke last time, we were talking about writing a book. Yes. Yeah. And so there was there was a, uh, a strategy there that I discussed with people when I was speaking to these speakers that I, I wanted us to talk about briefly. And that was the idea of when I'm coaching people on writing books, uh, they often freeze up because they want to say everything that they can say about a subject in one single specific place. You know, that they, so, 
So the idea of getting everything and like getting a perfect comprehensive knowledge into the book is is a demand they're putting on them uh, on themselves, but also getting all this stuff that's only semi related together in a coherent narrative is also getting in their way. And again, it's it's making things much more complex than they are. So one of the things that I tell people is you can say whatever it is that you want to say, but you can't say it all at once. Mm. So, right. If you try to say it all at once, you're going to be shooting yourself in the foot. And what you're going to do is you're going to put this massive information out there. And now you're putting the demands of making meaning in the world uh, like meaning in your own life in the hands of other people, because they're not going to know what it is that they should focus on. So they're either going to focus on whatever it is they want to focus on, and they're going to make meaning of your life for you, which is a, a terrible idea. Bad or work. much more likely is they're going to see this mass of confusion and they're going to ignore you. Right. So that's so they're either going to ignore you or they're going to come up with the wrong ideas for you. So what it is, is I tell people is that you have 20 books in you. Right. That's my thing, that this is just one book and you actually have 20 books in you. And let's not worry about demonstrating. Uh, pardon me. Let's not worry uh, uh, like like. Don't trust me that you have 20 books in you. Like, let's not trust me. Let's demonstrate to one another that you have 20 books in you. So let's say you're a corporate strategist. Let's list all the kinds of books on strategy that you could write. So you could write strategy as created by the CEO. You could do strategy as created by the senior executive team. You could do strategy as created from an egalitarian standpoint in the organization. You could do strategy for healthcare. You could do strategy for manufacturing, you know, like on and on and on. You could do success stories of strategy. You could do strategy tactics. You could do, and we go down this list and it's like, so those are just some of the ideas. You could do strategy about big companies. You could do strategy about small companies. You could do strategy for nonprofits, you and on and on. So you have at least 20 books in you. So don't try to pack too much into this one. And they often find that freeing because like they're all, you know, jammed up because they're trying to get it all done. Do you encounter that kind of thing? When you work ever with associations, yes. Absolutely. And it comes out uh, in many different ways. But, the, but in particular, it's this idea of trying to appeal to the entire membership. Like, like if we're, if we're going to, let's say that an association was writing a book to, de to demonstrate its thought leadership in the space that it was in. then they would say, there's nobody we can leave out. We've got to get everybody on the board involved. We've got to get all of our committee leaders involved. We've got to get all of our famous alumni involved. And the list is endless. Right. I mean, but, you know, eventually you're writing a book that's got 200 people that you're trying to wedge into the book. You've lost all the hope of really getting something powerful out there that knocks people back and makes them wake up and say, oh, my God, check this out. And it's become something that re reads like the, you know, the acknowledgments page in an encyclopedia or something. Right. So, yes, 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 yes. A hundred times. So the question is, you know, uh, not how do you create the slice that's going to be most powerful? But like, what are your guiding principles when you want to, you want to, you know, 
select from all the different knowledge that you have and all the different contexts that's important to understand, how do you pick the thing that's really going to accelerate your career right now in its next step? Right. Well, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, uh, the feeling that it creates in you, you know, because you, uh, especially, you know, the people we're talking to, obviously, uh, the people listening, uh, they're very advanced thinkers and they're very advanced people in their career, right? They're C-level people in their career. So they have a, a tremendous understanding about things. So I'm a big believer in the fact that you know what it is you should be saying and what's going to attract people in the marketplace. It's just that it's you haven't gotten it out of your head yet. So that's why I'm a, uh, that's why I love to have people do a lot of free writing and list making and free form discussions about things. You know, for instance, I'll have someone I'll, I'll give them seven minutes to talk nonstop as quickly as they possibly can about the situation or the problem they have. And then I'll talk back to them for five minutes nonstop. They can't ask me any questions about what it is that I heard and solutions. And then they talk back to me for one minute about what it is they're going to use. In other words, all these things are about forcing people out of their edit mode and into their creation mode. And I, again, I think that we have a lot of the answers already. We just don't realize it. And so uh, what I want us to do then, I'm giving us all homework then as we reach the end of this episode of Plan of the Associations uh, and about what we were talking about early about field trips. Seth, what would you say? What's uh, uh, leading us out now? What's a field trip piece of homework that people could do? I want you to identify what would be the biggest adventure in terms of accelerating in your space. And I don't want you to put any limits on it. Like if it means go into outer space with Jeff Bezos, that's on the list, right? Identify the biggest adventure. That's step one. Once you've got that and not until after you've got that, then I want you to ask the question, what is the essence of this adventure? What is it really about for me? And how can I go on an adventure that will hit that bullseye, that will give me that essence. And then third, step three, go do it. Beautiful. Thank you so much. This is Plan of the Associations. I'm Mark Levy. And I'm Seth Kahn. And we'll see you soon. Bye.